And so we are kicking off a new series entitled My Masada. Uh, in the series, we're going to be going through Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a psalm of King David, probably written during the height of his power as king. And in the psalm, David is looking back at how God had been with him in times when his life was threatened uh, before he became king. And before he became king, David spent a lot of time in the desert wilderness, hiding from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. And so Psalm 18 is David thanking God for delivering him from Saul and other enemies. God had been David's fortress, his safe haven. And one of our directives here at TFRC is a safe haven, where we are a place for the lost and broken to find peace and healing through Christ and community. And so as we go through this psalm, we will see how God is our safe haven and be challenged how we can be a safe haven for others, and then just uh, see how Christ fulfills the message of Psalm 18. The title of the series is My Masada. The word Masada means fortress. Now, how many of you are familiar with Masada? Raise your hand if you're familiar with Masada. I just want to get a basic idea. Okay, a handful of you. Masada is an amazing place in southern Israel. It was built on an isolated rock plateau overlooking the Dead Sea in the middle of the desert. And there is nothing around it for miles. Uh, it's now a major tourist attraction. If you um, ever go to Israel, not that any of us are going to be doing that anytime soon, but if you do, that's a place to go. But back in biblical times, it was an isolated place. The plateau itself, just looking at it, that rock formation is impressive. And Masada is significant for two reasons. First, Herod the Great, the Herod from the Christmas story, he built a palace on top of it. Uh, it was an unbelievable palace oasis. That plateau that you are looking at is 18 acres in size. And Herod built two palaces for himself, as well as guest areas. And that, um, that plateau had swimming pools and heated bathhouses and gardens. It was a place of luxury, if you can believe it, uh, with an amazing view of the Dead Sea. And on the cliff in the front of the picture, uh, Herod built a three-level apartment for himself on that cliff. So this would be the first level, and that would be the bottom level. There was another level in between. But on the cliff of that rock plateau, um, he built an apartment for himself. Now, the whole thing took like two decades uh, to build, but, and it was completed around 15 BC. But about 85 years later, Masada became famous for another reason. In 70 AD, uh, Jewish zealots revolted against the Romans, and Rome was ruthless in crushing that revolt. And in 72, 73 AD, the last remnants of the zealots made their final stand here at Masada. There was about a thousand of them. There were 8,000 Roman soldiers that surrounded Masada, surrounded the bottom of the plateau. Because it was so well fortified, they had to camp at the bottom, and then they built a ramp up. And the ramp was built with a timber frame, and then they filled it with rocks. It took them like two to three months to do it. Now, that was back in 73 B.C., you can still walk by that ramp 
on your way up there today. Myself, my wife, my son, a few others from TFRC, this past May, uh, we actually did that. Where you climb, you start here at the bottom, here's the ramp, but you walk up these stairs, you see those little people, it gives you an idea of the size of what we're talking about here. And so you walk up these stairs, and up these stairs, and up some more stairs, you can go up these stairs, you keep going, it goes up over about to here, and then it starts coming back, and you walk up these stairs, and you keep going up, 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 and then you enter right about there. Okay, it takes about an hour to make that uh, climb, and it's usually hot <laughs> when you do it. Um, but the Romans used this ramp, that's right in the front, um, to break into the plateau. And when they did, they found that all the zealots had died by suicide. They chose that rather than die at the hands of the Romans. Now, over the next several weeks, um, we may share small tidbits about Masada here and there, but the reason we are focusing on it for this series is about a thousand years before Herod, King David had, well, it was before he was king, David had a fortress in the desert. And it was somewhere between Moab and Adullam. Now, Moab is right there. Adullam is about 10 miles just to the west of Hebron. And you'll see, here's Masada. And somewhere in this region here, he had a fortress. And Masada is in that region. Um, and you can read about David's fortress in the desert in places like 1 Samuel 22 and 1 Samuel 24. It doesn't elaborate on it much. It just makes a quick passing reference to it. Um, but he had a fortress in the desert. And some people think that Masada was the location. Now, Masada comes from the Hebrew word Masuda. Both of those words mean fortress. And so regardless of whether or not Masada was the location of David's uh, desert fortress, it still gives a great picture of what it means for God to be our fortress. Now, the scripture for today is Psalm 18, verses 1 to 5. Um, you can look it up on your phones, or you can look it up in uh, the Bible. It's about halfway through the Old Testament, the book of Psalms is. Um, and our scripture reader for this morning is Janet Peacock. So Janet, go and make your way on up to the podium. As she does, I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand and face Janet. And I want you to pay attention to the language used in the psalm and see how the pictures that you just saw from Masada match some of the language. And hopefully that will help us begin to understand what David is saying about how God is a fortress for him. And so Janet, whenever you're ready, please read Psalm 18. Verses 1 to 5. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I, whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Janet, thank you very much. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to walk backwards through these five verses and begin with the dangers that David was facing. Because the dangers he was facing were no small 
matter. Just listen to them again real quick here. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. David is not praying for a good grade on a test. He is not praying for a job promotion. David is literally facing death, destruction, and the grave. Many of you are familiar with the David and Goliath story. And when that happened, the king of Israel was King Saul. And after David defeated Goliath, um, that made him famous among the people, but it also made him highly regarded by Saul. But as his fame among the people increased, it be, he became so popular that his popularity rivaled that of the king. And so Saul eventually saw David as a threat to the throne. And so Saul set out to kill David. And David would spend over a decade on the run for his life. He hid in the wilderness, in foreign cities. He even hid among the Philistines. The Philistines were the people that the Israelites were fighting. When David killed Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine champion. And so for the fact that David would even hide among them shows you how bad things got, that he was so desperate that he thought it was safer to hide among the people whose champion he killed. David spent over a decade of his life on the run. And that entire time, he was always bumping into some kind of danger. He would avoid one situation just to bump into another one. And David would overcome one threat and have to face another one. There was always something that David had to cry out to God for. Always something. Which I'm going to guess you can, all of us can relate to. That there is always something. <laughs> there is always something that we need God to help us with. We take care of one problem and there's another one that pops right up. Or more likely, we're in the middle of dealing with a problem and two or three more pop up. Challenges, threats, dangers of this world never stop coming. And Jesus, he was very familiar with this reality. The reality that there will always be something causing distress. Right before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples, John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Now we need to be reminded that just because we follow Jesus, that doesn't mean we won't have trouble in this life. Jesus tells his disciples to expect trouble. So when trouble hits, followers of Jesus should not be surprised. And in one sense, this can bring comfort because if David had years of his life of threatening trouble, and if Jesus said that we will have trouble, well, then when we experience it, we don't have to think that we're cursed or that we're outside of God's favor. It is to be expected, which is the reason we need God to be our fortress because there's always a threat. There's always something. The dangers are never ending. I'm reminded of the story Jesus told about building your house on a rock or building your house on the sand. And in that story, he says, when the storms come, not if the storms come, but when they come, you know, storms sometimes come. 
There is always a danger. And for David, the dangers were real and life-threatening. So he faced real dangers, and David called out for deliverance. Going back to verse 3, where it says, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Let me just point out the obvious. David called on the Lord. David didn't first try to figure out the problems on his own. He didn't first try to use his own ingenuity. He didn't first try to rely on his own strength or military skills. He called upon the Lord first. And as simple as that sounds, that is the thing we often lack. Calling out to God. A couple weeks ago, I was officiating a funeral. And after the funeral, there was a graveside service. The funeral service was here on campus in the other building, and then the graveside service was going to be at Sunset Memorial on the other side of town. And anytime I'm doing a graveside service, I like to get to the cemetery, you know, about 15 minutes before the family does. And to get to TFR, from TFRC to Sunset Memorial, I'll take 2nd Street to Kimberly Road and then that to the cemetery. And so the funeral service ends, and I head to the cemetery, and on my way there, I get a flat tire. Now, I have to get to the cemetery. I can't not show up. And I've got about 15 minutes to get there before the family gets there. Um, now, some of you know me. I do not have the skills to change a tire that quickly. Some of you would say, you don't have the skills to change a tire at all. But I'm not going to try to change the tire while I'm wearing a suit, that's for sure. But I didn't panic. I made a couple calls. Called my son and my wife. And my son said he could come get me. So then I also called the family. And since they were on their way, and, it was, and they were taking the same route I had taken, it was easier for them just to pick me up. So I let the family know where I am. I call my son back. I tell him, don't worry about picking me up. And so the family, they pick me up, we go to the cemetery, we do the graveside service, they bring me back to church, and after all that's done, I call AAA, because I have roadside assistance. When, you don't, when you're not great at changing tires, roadside assistance is kind of necessary. And so they uh, take my vehicle, they tow it to a tire place, and I needed to get new tires anyway, so I did. It all worked out. And sometimes, it's just better to make a call than to try to figure it out yourself. Now, that's really true for me in cars. Now, would it have been better for my self-esteem to be able to change that tire on my own? Yes. And that's the problem. Our pride gets in the way. We so badly want to be able to do everything ourselves. And we only call on God as a last resort. Well, David was quick to call on God. David understood that if he was going to not just survive but thrive, he needed God to save him from his enemies. And Jesus understood that reality too. After Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, he tells them, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Rather than trying everything you can think of first, rather than trying or relying upon all of your resources first, rather than trusting in your own skills first. Call on the Lord who is worthy of praise first. 
Now, after you call on the name of the Lord, you can try all that other stuff. That's fine. Things that God has given you to overcome your challenges. But I often only call on the Lord if I have to. And David teaches us the secret to deliverance is to call on God first. So David's in danger. He calls out for deliverance. And God's response deepens David's devotion. Going to the first two verses. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David's love for God is a passionate devotion. For over 10 years, David faced dangerous and mortal crises. And one after the next, after the next, after the next. And God was with him every step of the way. And that companionship during all those times led to a closeness and confidence that is hard to describe. Some of us have lifelong friendships that started when we were kids. And we've been friends our whole lives through thick and thin. Some of us have been married for decades and we've been with each other for years and years. We've raised kids together. We've gone through the ups and downs together, done life together. Some of us have worked with the same people for years, been through all sorts of work, trials, and tribulations. And looking back, we can laugh at some of those things that we've been through. But whether it's family or friends or coworkers, when you face challenges and obstacles together, it binds you in ways that are hard to describe. Rich, deep connections. That is what David felt for God. And he elaborates on what God has been for him. And what I love about the language that David uses in verse two is how concrete and tangible it is. And let me explain what I mean by that. You can tell if something is concrete or tangible if when I say it, you can actually picture it. Versus something is abstract, it's hard to come up with a picture right away. Let me demonstrate. Okay, some abstract ways that we describe God. God is love. Can you come up with a picture of that for me? God is good. Can you come up with a picture of that for me? God is merciful. Do you have a picture for that? It's harder to come up with those pictures because those are more abstract thoughts. Versus, and go ahead and close your eyes. Just humor me for a second. Close your eyes because there are some things I want you to try to picture. And you should be able to picture it very easily and quickly. So close your eyes. No one's going to do anything mean to you. God has been his rock. Do you got a picture? God has been his fortress. Got a picture of that? God has been his shield. You got that picture? God has been his stronghold. How about a picture for that? It should have been a lot easier for you to come up with pictures for those things. Go ahead and open your eyes. Here's another picture for you. God has been David's Masada. That word in verse 2, fortress. 
That word is Masuda, which is where the word Masada comes from. God is David's fortress, David's Masada. And I understand why the first century zealots fled to this place, because I'm sure they were thinking that would be the safest place for us. And it was, because even though they were outnumbered eight to one, there were 8,000 Romans camped at the bottom of Masada to a thousand zealots. And it took months for the Romans to get there. Now, whether David ever used this location as a stronghold, as a fortress, we don't know. But for as much time as he spent in this desert region, again, for over a decade, surely he was familiar with it. Surely he had passed by it. He had seen it. He was familiar with it. You can see it for miles and miles. And the language that he uses to describe God is seen in it. So as this series goes on, there's a couple things that we are going to be keeping in front of us. First of all, is we're going to be talking more on how we can be a Masada, a fortress, a safe haven for others. So I just want to plant that seed now. How can you be a fortress, a Masada, a safe haven to someone else? And we'll continue to talk about that more in the coming weeks. But I also want to put in front of us right now the following question. What do you need to call out to God for, like today? Rather than trying all of your stuff first, something you can call it to God to first. And then you can try all your stuff. What do you need to call out to God for? Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. And that changes everything. You see, as our fortress, Jesus is always looking out for us. When we think about Jesus, we correctly focus on the eternal salvation he gives to those who believe in him. However, Jesus' concern for us doesn't end at the cross as it says in Hebrews 7, therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus isn't just the rock of our eternal salvation. Jesus is the rock of our, salva our salvation for whatever we need deliverance from. Jesus is always interceding for us. Interceding means that Jesus is intervening for us. He's taking action on our behalf, just as God took action on David's behalf, delivering him time and again as David called out. Jesus is doing the same thing for us. What is going on in your life that you need Jesus to intercede? And that doesn't necessarily mean Jesus is going to do everything we want. He often doesn't. But Jesus, in his wisdom and in his way, is always looking out for us, and we need to call out to him first. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do thank you that you are our fortress, that you are our stronghold, you are our deliverer, you're our safe haven. And Lord, I'd ask that you'd bring to mind uh, to each of us what it is that we need to call out to you for. And Lord, we um, thank you 
that Jesus is always intervening for us. And Lord, I'd ask that you would open our eyes to help us see that truth. And it's in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.